Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> uh, it is such a wonderful day. I am so grateful that the wind is kind of calmed down right now. The sun is shining. It's a glorious day. Let's stand, rise, and be in the house of the Lord because that's where we are. And he wants to hear your voices. Sing a little Sing a little song for him, do a little jazz, whatever makes you happy, but praise him because he is so good to us and he wants to know uh, that we are here to praise him. Amen. 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 Forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the 
today and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord there's joy in the house of the lord today and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place and we won't be quiet we shout out your Psalm 1830 reminds us, God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship. Lord, we thank you that you're our shield and our protector. And Father, I pray this morning as we're here to celebrate Jesus that we can just lift our hearts up to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to come together to worship with us this morning at First Christian. We're here to lift up Christ together. Make sure, if you will, you'll fill out your connection card for us. For those of you who are first-time guests, if you'll use the one online, you'll get two email, uh, text messages, one with the, sur- with the uh, connection card, and a second one about four hours later with a four-question survey. We will not use your number to text you 15 million times. We don't do that, so we, you can trust us with that. So if you would, please make sure you fill out your connection card and those online. We ask that you do the same so we can keep contact with you. At this time, the praise team is going to continue to lead us in song, and we're just glad that you're with us this morning. Standing on 
John 14, 27, we have the words of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. Oh, mm-hmm. 
This is one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God, who holds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Yes, I 
should live like that. If you believe it, you live it. Well, today we're in our last, we are, we are in our last message on, entitled The Bible Prioritizing God's Word in Our Lives. And we've been examining this issue for the past, I think, five weeks. And as we've been having these discussions, we're trying to determine what it looks like in our lives. We can talk a lot about, okay, I prioritize God's Word. It's, it's a priority in my life. But really, what does that look like? How can you tell if this is happening in your life? And how can you see it in the life of others? Is prioritizing God's word in your life just simply an issue of time? Okay, I've spent 30 minutes, 15 minutes, five hours, 20 hours. Is that all it is? Or is there something more to it? Most believers are familiar with the biblical metaphor of new birth that we find in John chapter 7. And what we find is when a new birth happens, that's when life begins. That's when growth happens. In other words, when we have children, we don't expect them to be a baby for the rest of their lives, although sometimes they might act like it, but, you know, or I might act like it, but physically that's not what we expect. Or if you have a little kitten, you, you know, as much as it would be so cute if they'd stay like that, you know, and, or a puppy, you know, everybody loves puppies, but you know that they're supposed to grow. Eugene Peterson wrote this concerning this subject. He says, birth presupposes growth, but growth proceeds from birth. Birth is quick and easy. At least it seems that way to fathers. Mothers have a different slant on it. <clears throat> growth is endless and complex. The point is this. When, we're, when we have a new birth in Christ, <clears throat> we are called to grow. A year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, even six months from that point, something should be different. We should see growth in our life. In the passage in Colossians, in Colossians 3, that we're going to examine this morning, it's one of those practical reminders of the fact that once we are new in Christ, 
The old self has to be cast away as we mature. In other words, we have to start growing. And this growth only happens as we allow God's word to inform and transform our lives while we live in community with others. In other words, we're living on this earth and we have to allow God's word to come in and change who we are to inform our conscience and to do all these things. The title of the message this morning is Putting the Word into Action. However, a really, and I almost switched it up, but I'd already done the graphic, so I got too lazy to do it. Another way to, to title this message would be Living According to the Cross. And that's really what it's all about. Well, this morning, we're going to turn to Colossians 3, and we're going to look and see what that looks like and how we can do it. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to follow on the screen, we'll begin in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of, of, the, of God. Keep thinking about things above, not the things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. So putting the word in action in one's life, first of all, requires this. It requires, uh, it requires directing, redirecting one's focus. We have to be able to redirect our focus. Now, when you look at this passage, Paul says this. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, and of course he's implying that you have, but when you look at this, this is a conditional statement. So what he's saying is, if you've been raised with Christ, this is for you. But what does that statement mean? What does it mean to be raised with Christ? What does the statement refer to? Well, when you study out the references in the New Testament, what you find is he's referring to the time when one is baptized or immersed into Christ. In Colossians 2.12, it reminds us this. It says, having been buried with him, speaking of Christ in baptism, you have also been raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul is saying, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been baptized into Christ, you need to pay attention because this is for you. Being baptized into Christ, and I don't want to go a long deal into this, but I do want to cover it a little bit because we need to understand this. Some people say, well, baptism is just an outward sign of inward grace. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's much more. There is symbolism to baptism, and we'll see this here in a minute in, in, in a couple passages. But there's something that happens there that God does. God does this. Paul is telling us that when we are baptized into Christ, we are not the same person anymore. The old self is dead. And that because of that, we have to have that new life coming into us. So if you're an immersed believer, you really don't have an option because your old self is dead. Now, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we're a new creation in Christ, and it tells us that. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old is past. Pa excuse me, passed away. Look, what is new has come. So all that stuff from the past is gone. Paul explains in Romans 6 when, about when we're buried with Christ, something changes. And here's what he says. Shall we, uh, what shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if 
excuse me, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that the old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So one of the things that has to happen if we are going to have the word of God prioritized in our life, penetrating our life, is we have to shift our focus from the old life to the new life we have in Christ. In other words, we have to quit pursuing the things of this world. We have to quit pursuing the things we used to pursue. Many times people come out of the baptistry and sometimes they're not quite under, they don't quite understand what's going on. And we do everything we can to explain this to people. Because what ends up happening is if you don't have something new to focus on, you will focus on the old because we're creatures of habit, aren't we? There's a proverb that says, it's a kind of a gross one, it says a dog returns to its own vomit. And if you've had dogs, you know they do that. But what that's saying is if you don't have something better, you go back to what you know because what we know we're comfortable with. And so when we are in Christ, when we are trying to have that transformation, we can't focus on the things we used to think, the places we used to go, the things we used to say, the things we used to do. Those things have to change. And our minds have to get off of pursuing those things, and they have, it has to set our, we have to set our minds on God. Now, this isn't meant to be hyper-spiritualized, to make us out of touch with reality, with the here and now. We're supposed to be living here. But the point is, our focus should be above. Rather, it, we have to view life through the lens of Christ and his resurrection. For instance, we talk about things like forgiveness. It sounds good, doesn't it? But when it comes to it, it's hard. Why? Because we've been hurt. People have done things to us. And so we think, well, you know, they don't really deserve our forgiveness. And the truth be told, they don't. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross, did those people that crucified him deserve their, his forgiveness? No, they didn't. He gave it to them. He told the Father, forgive them. They don't, know what, they don't know what they're doing. I don't know about you, but if I'm hanging on that cross because of a bunch of, like if you all put me on the cross, I'd be saying, God, get them. Look what they're doing to me. They said mean things to me. They gambled my stuff away. Somebody took my iPhone and my iPad. I'm really upset. You know, get them, God. That's what you would deserve. That's what we deserve. But yet Jesus said, forgive them. You can't really forgive people. Little things maybe, but to really forgive people who've hurt you, you need to be transformed. You've got to do that through the power of Christ. Practically speaking, what this is talking about is we are supposed to live our life, attempt to live our life now as if we're living in heaven. In other words, when we live in heaven, things are going to be different. We won't have all this junk around us. But this life, we're called to live like we're already there to the best of our ability. And the way that happens is your focus. Let's say that we all go on a drive. We're all going to take a drive out on I-10. And, and every one of us are going to start staring at the ditch through our passenger window. We're going to drive. We're not looking ahead. We're not looking at, we are just staring at the ditch and we're driving. Where are you going to end up eventually? You'll be in the ditch. Now, some of you have these systems in your car. My wife has that where mine beeps when you get out of the lane. But I mean, you keep looking at the ditch, you're going to end up in the ditch. Well, you keep focusing on the world and keeping your heart and your eyes on the world, where are you going to end up? You're going to end up with the world. If your eyes are focused on another person, you're married, and you start focusing on somebody else, eventually you're not going to be married. You're going to get yourself into trouble. 
our life focus should not be on this world. We have to live in it. We have to get along with it. We have to, we have to work and all this. But ultimately, we are just passing through. And so our focus always has to be on that which is above. If you don't focus your life on God, what are you focusing it on? Where is Jesus right now? The Bible tells us that he's seated at the right hand in heaven. So when we gave our life to Christ, we wanted to be with him and like him. So if that's the case, we want to focus on him. Because if we don't, those other things aren't going to happen. We have to be able to keep that focus. He is where we want to be. So that's where our focus. To set your mind on him means to direct your thoughts, your desires, and your affections on him and on heaven. It means that we have a strong drive to do the things that we do because we understand where Jesus is and we understand that he died for us. And we love him so much for what he's done. We want to be, do you want to be with those you love? Yes, you do. Well, do we love Jesus? If we do, we want to be with him. It's a natural outcropping of it. So to do that, we have to change our focus. Our lives have to be hidden in Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Paul explains this. He says, speaking of his life, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life that I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so what Paul is saying is, yeah, I'm still Paul. I'm living on this earth, but it's not me. My life is hidden in Christ. When you look at me, you should see Jesus as I live. Not that you're a God, but your people should see Jesus. And this is a lot of times where people in the world really struggle, rightfully so, when they see Christians that aren't even reflecting an ounce of Jesus. And then they're like, well, you're hypocrites. Now, there's a difference between a hypocrite, a hypocrite, somebody who's pretending, and someone who's struggling. I would say most of us are struggling. Very few of us probably are hypocrites, although there's probably some. But see, that gives a bad name to Jesus because they'll say, well, you say you believe in him, but yet, but yet, look how you're living. And it's a valid, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to sound a little political, I don't mean to, I'm just trying to be practical. We talk about climate change, okay, and how the oceans are going to swallow up the coasts. If that's true, why are politicians and banks loaning money to people to buy land in Florida? Just a thought. In other words, they say this, but they don't really believe it, because if you believe that Florida is going to get swept up by the ocean, would you buy land there? I wouldn't, but anyway, just another story. But the same is true with Jesus. If I believe in Jesus, it'll show in my life. Where is your focus? What are you focusing on right now? What am I focusing on? Redirect it to the things above. Let's look at verses 5 through 9. So Paul continues, he says, because of what I just said, so put to death whatever in your natural, in, excuse me, in your nature belongs to the earth, sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. You also lived your lives in this way at one time, when you used to live among them. But now, put off such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his practices. So putting the word into action in one's life also requires putting away the old self. Since we've died to self, we're this new creation. 
We're called to clean out our house, and we're called to clean out of our closet. Now, unless you're a hoarder, which I've been around some, if your refrigerator and your stove and your dishwasher go out, you go home and they all just, they, they go out and you have to replace them, what would you do? Most people would get rid of the old ones. They, hey, can you haul these away? I have no use for them. Most people wouldn't keep the old ones in place and stick the new ones right next to it, unless you have a massive house. Because we understand that when we have to replace the broken ones, we have to, br- we have to get rid of them and bring the new. When we are focusing on the things of above, on ab- excuse me, the things above, there are things that we need to put to death. These things are incompatible with the new life that we have in Christ, and so we have to get rid of them. Years ago, and if you haven't ever seen it, because some of you might have to Google it, it's been a while since it's been on, my wife and I, or my wife did, I just happened to be in the room when it was on, used to watch this show, What Not to Wear, and it was, it, it, some of you are laughing, did you see, have you seen it? Oh gosh, it was hilarious. Usually what would happen is somebody, you know, they'd get a secret camera and film this person. Now remember, tacky is in the eyes of the beholder, okay? But these people, it was, the, it was ladies, and, and some of them, they thought that those snakeskin pants that were three sizes too small, and those pink boots and that little short crop top that, you know, everything. <laughs> There's, I just spoke Chip's love language there. Um, but, you know, where everything is kind of hanging out that shouldn't, they've thought that's sexy. And their friends, God bless them, looked at them and said, that's tacky. And so they would secretly film this person. They'd bring the person in and say, hey, you know, your friends ratted you out. You're a tacky person. They'd put it a little bit better than that. And they'd show them the video and they'd be, yeah, that's me. Don't I look sexy? I look great in this. And so they would take this person and they'd take them in front of the, the, what I call the truth detector, the 360-degree mirror. You ever stood in front of one of those? Those things don't lie. That's, that's a, I've stood in front of one when I first started working out again. I was like, oh, man, you know, you get around those. But anyway, and they would they get the person thinking that, yeah, maybe this doesn't look quite as good. And so what they would do is they would take this person and give them a makeover, and some of them were just incredible. they do their hair, their hair color, do them all up, and, you know, just, wow, stunning. Well, in between all that, what they would do is, is, hey, bring in all your clothes. And so they would bring them in, and the host would look at them, that's tacky, that's five sizes too small, there's not enough material here. This one looks like you work at night on the street, blah, 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 and eventually throw everything away. And the person's like really upset because everything's thrown away. But after the makeover, they come out in this stunning outfit. And all of a sudden, throwing that other stuff away doesn't mean anything. You know why? Because the way they have been transformed, that stuff it never fit in the first place, <laughs> but it doesn't go with that new image. And so when Paul talks about this, he's saying, you have been made over. You're new, so this stuff you used to cling to, you don't need this anymore. It doesn't fit you. It's not befitting who you are in Christ. So when we come to Jesus, if we're going to allow this transformation to happen, we got to give it room to grow. And so therefore, we got to get rid of the old stuff. We have to discard it. We have to realize that we are dead to our old self. And you know, when something is dead, it doesn't respond, does it? If you put cookies and donuts, and we had some fantastic cake last night, if you put that in front of me, man, I'm going to be like, oh, sermon's over, time to eat. I don't want to tempt you, I shouldn't say that. But if I'm dead, they're laying in the casket, and you can, you can lay in my casket with all that stuff, I'm just going to lay there and be dead. I'm not going to respond to it. It's not going to happen. And this is how Paul is saying, this other stuff, you don't even respond to it. 
In verse 5, we're told to consider our earthly members, our earthly body is dead to these things listed. To be put to death, to put to death these things, it literally means that we are to restrain them and hold them in check. That they no longer are master over us because when you're immersed into Christ, the slavery to sin is broken. Now, I'm not going to go through the list and list them all. You can read. They're pretty self-explanatory. But we will struggle with these issues as long as we live in this world. you know why? Because people are going to tempt us. People are going to hurt us. You know, you look at anger. Man, when I was a young man, I was, before I met my wife, I was really, in a, I had a lot of anger, a lot of rage over, for various reasons. My parents were wonderful, nothing to do with them. It had all to do with me. I had a volatile, violent temper. I mean, I tear things up. I get so mad. And I didn't like to lose at anything, not even tiddlywinks. I don't care what it was. I wasn't a loser. I wasn't going to lose. And when I did, I'd throw a fit like a two-year-old because i get so angry. And Jesus changed that. Jesus changed that. There's times where it might start to rear itself. I go, whoa, I'm dead to that. Got to restrain it. But you see, we got to put these things off. In verse 7, Paul told his readers, you know what, guys? Once you lived like that, the implication is you don't anymore. You're not to do it anymore. The list that he gives is not exhaustive. And you ask yourself, well, how do I know if I need to get rid of something? Here's a pretty simple test. Ask yourself if what I'm thinking, what I'm seeing, what I'm doing, is this befitting someone who belongs to Jesus? Is this something Jesus would stand back and say, hey, good job. If it's not, we probably need to get rid of it. And when he gives us this list of things that we need to get rid of, he says, oh, by the way, these things are idolatry. Because what ends up happening is we reject the truth of God and his word, and then we make up one of our own imagination that says, okay, this is okay, this is okay, this is okay, when God says, no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not. And then so what we end up doing is we make our desires, our appetites, and our lusts our God, and we deify them, and we feed them. So that's the implication of what happens when we don't allow these things to be taken out of our life. So what do you have in your life right now that if Jesus were standing right next to you and you had to explain it to him, that he would say, hmm, you know, you ought to really rethink that one. That's, that's what we're called to do. Let's look at verses 10 through 17. It says this. And have, and have been clothed with the new man that is being renewed in a knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is, is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If someone ha happens to have a complaint against anyone else, just as the Lord, man, why do you throw that in? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. And to, and to all these virtues add love, which is the perfect bond. Let the peace of Christ be in control of your heart, for you were in fact called as one body to this peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. 
So our final observation is putting the word into action in one's life requires us, requires putting on the new self. We're a new creation. We need a renewed mind that verse 10 speaks of. We have to get the focus off the other stuff and onto what's, what, what, what's important. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore I exalt you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your, uh, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. If we're going to be renewed in the image of God, it has to begin in the mind and the heart. Verse 12 through 14 gives a whole list of virtues that come with that renewal. Once again, I'm not going to go through all those today. You can read them. They're very self-explanatory. But the bottom line with those is the thing that brings them all together is love. It's called the perfect bond. For instance, if you love somebody, you're going to want to forgive them. If you love somebody, you're going to want to bear up with their burdens. If you love somebody, you're going to be merciful, compassionate, kind. If you don't, you won't. Jesus talked consistent, constantly about love. And when you think about it, the Pharisees were a good example of people who did all the right things, but they didn't have that bond of love tying it together. So they became legalistic. They looked at people as those dirty sinners that you don't want to be like. And, and instead of doing what they did because they loved Jesus and, and said, look, Jesus or God at that time made me this way, what they would do is they would do what they were supposed to do. And they say, look at me. Look at me. Aren't I amazing? Aren't I great? Isn't God lucky to have me? And see, when you pull love out of the equation, it messes with a lot of things. It doesn't make them right. Another reason why love is so important is this, very simply. Who is love? God is. God is love. If we place our, when we place our thoughts on the things above, we'll enjoy blessings like we've never experienced because our whole heart will change. It's amazing how you can be in a situation and your mindset makes the difference on how you'll deal with it. Bad things happen to us a lot, unfortunately. And sometimes when that happens, we can just focus on ourselves, and it can be, woe is me, the pity party, I'm so, I feel sorry for myself. And I don't want to downplay the bad situation, but the other person can say, you know what, I'm going to let the peace of Christ rule my heart. Therefore, I don't like what's going on but it's not going to destroy me. It's not going to take away my faith. Colossians 3.16 really encapsulates this whole series when it says this. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. If we allow the peace of Christ, if we allow the word of God to richly dwell within us, our lives will never be the same because it will help transform us into what God has called us to be. How does this happen? Does it happen by sleeping on the Bible? Osmosis? Does it happen by having a bunch of them in the house? Does it happen by spending hours and hours and hours in Scripture? That's a good thing. But it happens when we open our hearts and say, Lord, speak to me. When you read Scripture, it should not just be so I can learn stuff which you want to learn, I'm all for learning, but really you should come to it and say, you know what, I'm going to study this in a transformative way. So when I'm reading this passage, I'm asking God, what are you saying to me? 
What does this passage say to me? Not what it says to my wife or what it says to anybody else. What are you trying to tell me through this passage? And to be honest with you, there's a lot of times I don't like what he says. I don't like what it says. When I'm writing sermons all the time, I'm like, oh, do we really have to do that? Can't I change that? It would sound more palatable if we changed it, but you can't. See, when we know and understand God's word and it fills our hearts, guess what happens? It shapes our thoughts. It shapes our feelings. It shapes our worldview. It guides what we do. And when people, when the world hates you and says all kinds of bad things about you, you know, you just get to the point you just don't care because you know that God loves you. It's not easy to be have people be mean to you, but you can endure it because you know God loves you. You know, we all face temptation. I had a friend of mine one time, he had drug problems, and he said, Jeff, he said, whenever I walk, I look down and I see, I see uh, some drugs on the ground. And I'm like, I said, well, that's odd because I do a lot of walking and I've never seen that. Now, one time on my bike, I did see a needle on the ground. But you know, when I saw that, I'm like, ooh, gross. I'm not thinking, I'm going to pick that up and stick that in my arm. And I told him, I said, well, when you see that, what do you do? Well, you know, I got to pick. And I'm like, well, why, do you, why don't you just walk on? See, he was tempted by this because that was a weakness for him. But see, when your mindset changes, if you want to defeat temptation in your life, I'll give you, a, I say a simple formula. It's simple, but not easy to do. What did Jesus do when, the, when Satan tried to tempt him? Did Jesus smack him upside the head and say, get away from me, pointy tail? I don't know. Does he really have a pointy tail, by the way? Um, get away from me, man. Leave me alone. No, what he did is he used scripture. He didn't get the books of philosophy out. He took scripture and said, this is how he fought temptation. I'm thinking, Jesus fought temptation. And by the way, when Jesus was tempted, he was, he was generally tempted. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was lonely. He was in pain. Satan's like, I got an easy way for you to get out of this. And that's what temptation is. Usually it's the easy way out. But Jesus says, no. The word, thus saith the word, thus saith the Lord. That's what he used, scripture. So if it worked for him, it should work for us. So when the, whatever that is that tempts you in your life and it's coming at you, use the word that ritually dwells within you to fight it off. You know, as we discussed with, from starting at week one, our time with God and his word should be transformative. Time alone is not the key. It is a part of it. But you could literally, I don't necessarily, but you could spend five minutes of transformative time in Scripture and it will be more beneficial to you than three hours of just reading it. Okay, just... Now, if you can do transformative for three hours, even better. But the fact of the matter is, when, when you hear, when we read Scripture, it should help us to become that new self, that new creation. We don't strive to be prideful and intellectual about the things but related to the Bible. We're trying to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. We're not reading the Bible so that we can all come together and say, hey, we know a lot about God's word. Here's our click. But we should be living out God's word. People should see that in our life. They should see the difference. We seek people, we seek to point people to Jesus. And if we live the life that he's called us to live, we will do that very thing. We won't repel them. We persevere together. We come together to hear the word of God and to keep it together. This morning, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do it. You know, the world can be so hard on us. You're not enough of something. No matter the, the best of us, there's gonna, people are going to find some kind of fault with you. But God doesn't. God loves you. 
While we were yet sinners, he died on the cross. He didn't say, well, Jeff, you know, you need to fix this, this, and this, and then we'll talk. No, he says, come to me, I'll clean you. You know, come to me, just as you are, and I'll change you. And it's amazing. A lot of people won't come to Jesus, in my experience, because they're afraid of what will change. And, but yet, they're living in misery, but the misery is something they know. If you want to have a new adventure in life, if you want to experience forgiveness and the peace of Christ that will rule your heart and your life, come to Jesus. We give that opportunity this morning to do so. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you're struggling and you need prayer, we would be glad to have you come forward. I'd be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward this morning as we stand together and sing our song of decision. Yeah. 
That'll be our invitation song for the month with both our praise teams. They've been working on this one for a while, so uh, that was the first time you heard that from us. This morning, we are going to take time to our, for our, our time of communion. And one of the things when we talk about communion a lot, we talk about the symbolism of it, where the cup represents the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us, and the bread represents the body that took our punishment for us. But ultimately, when you start looking at all this, Jesus saw this to be important enough where he says, do this in remembrance of me. He wanted us to do this. He wanted us to remember him. And the question is, what are we supposed to remember? Well, I think of all the things, you know, that song leads right into this, what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do. There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. See, if Jesus were dead, there's just a past. If Jesus were going to die, there might be a present, but no future. But because he's risen and he's sitting at, the right hand, sitting at the right hand of the Father, there is a past, what he's done. There's a present, what he's doing. And there's a future, what he's going to do. And when we take this communion together this morning, we're acknowledging and we're remembering that past. We're basking in the present and we're looking forward to the future. Because his death, burial, and resurrection are reality and it means something. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we can come together for this time of remembrance, this time of celebration where we can remember and celebrate the, the past, what you've done, the present, what you're doing, and the future, what you will do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
on the inside of your bulletin, we have some announcements for, announcements for this week we want you to take note of, so please take your bulletin home. But uh, after service, for those who are, of you who are on the Art of Marriage team, we're going to have our lunch together, so make sure you're in the fellowship hall before 1215. Um, missions ministry team, if you are part of the missions ministry team, we meet at 4 o'clock today for probably about a half-hour meeting. Jerry has all of his youth activities this evening. Um, I, I believe that Roger's group is meeting tonight. Uh, Wednesday, we have all of our studies. Uh, Thursday, we have a study. Saturday, we're doing narrow path, and we're taking a very easy path. You can almost take a car on this. I probably wouldn't, but this will be very easy. We're going to go up the, up, the, up, the, uh, up the Coronado, go down the back of the mountain, and go along the Mexican border and end up in Patagonia, and we're going to, going to eat at the Velvet Elvis. And then for those who want to come back with us, we're going to go back that way, or some can go back on the highway. And depending on who's with us, we may accidentally take a couple off paths you never know but anyway we'll, we'll have fun with that so you don't have to pack a lunch for that one but there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer there's also one on our web page on the events page uh, we are also doing our ministry team volunteer signups so you do not have to be a member of the church to be able to participate in the things that we have to sign up for and we're making one change this year in the past my past admins have had to call people when it's all done to say hey are you still wanting to do what you're going to do and 99 percent of the time oh yeah i just forgot to sign up so if you're an usher or greeter or anything on those sheets and you want to keep doing it, you don't have to fill it out again. We're just going to assume you're doing it, and we'll keep you on the list. If you don't want to do it and you're currently doing it, put it on the list. If you're an usher and don't want to be one, put your name, and there's, I think there's a box here that says, hey, I need a break from this. If you're not currently doing anything, shame on you, uh, there's plenty of opportunities <laughs> to be able to do stuff for Jesus through the church. So, you know, if you want to do things for Jesus, I'm just saying, but anyway, I won't put... Won't, won't pull out the guilt card, guilt card too much. We're really blessed here. We have a lot of participation. But make sure you sign up for those things. And the, the new teams will take place in May. So these will be out through, through Easter Sunday, and then we'll, we'll pull them and, and correlate them. We're doing prime time coming up on the 17th of March. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer. There's also one on our church webpage on the calendar and also on the events page. The first 30, I think, is all we can take is 30. So if you're on the first 30, you can go. If not, you'll go on a waiting list. Um, let me think. There was something else. Operation Christmas Child, they're still looking for items. You can see that in the bulletin. Now, our faith promise ends, ended at the end of last month. Now, we'll still take pledges, but we do that once one month out of the year to raise pledges for the missions that we support. And this video was supposed to be shown week one, but we kind of had a little snafu. It didn't get done. So I'm going to show you a... This video is 15 minutes, but we're only going to watch about three minutes of it. Adrian's a little long-winded, worse than I am, so we're going to show that. So go ahead and get, go ahead and start our clip. Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Adrian. And this is Lula. <laughs> and uh, we are here just outside of the church where we meet here in Texcoco. Um, why don't you come in? We'll, we'll tell you a little bit about what's going on uh, in southern Mexico, and we're super excited to share with you guys. And so this is the area where we meet. Um, this is uh, some of our chairs on this end, this, the main stage, and some chairs on the other end. And so we're, we're, we're super excited to tell you a little bit about what's going on here. And uh, there's a few things we want to share with you. Number one is we want to say thank you for the uh, support for the uh, audiovisual equipment that we got from you. Here's, this is our setup. If Lula would like to show us where... Um, we, how I stand. How she stands when we start our online service is she's over there behind the scenes. Of course, you don't see none of these cables. 
and all this different stuff. So here's the camera that we use to share our transmission. Here's the computer where everything else happens. And um, here's the this area where our, our, um, our worship band leads, in, leads us in songs. And so what we do, we've been doing here lately is we've started our service, physical service at 10. And because of um, Facebook turning down certain um, songs and then they mute your whole service, we decided not to show our, our song service or our worship service. Um, but thank you so much for, for supporting this ministry through that special offering where we were able to buy our mic, our lights. Lula, oh no, we don't have the lights on right now. There's no electricity in the building. We shut down the electricity for when we're not using it. But, uh, and so this, is, this uh, creates an opportunity for us to share uh, with other people. We, we've been able to continue to grow our, uh, our ministry throughout this, this um online services and, and do it in a more professional way. I don't know, Lula, if you want to share something about it? Yeah, it's been very exciting because uh, we've been able to reach a lot of friends, uh, neighbors, and people that we know that they have never gone to church. And it's very exciting to hear when we are talking to people in the community that they're like, oh, yeah, is that what you said in the service? So we just look at them like, oh, they look at the service. And it's very exciting to hear that uh, people that they have never had the chance or will make an effort to come to church, uh, they are listening to the church, uh, to the service through uh, the internet. So we're pretty excited. The, um, it was funny when Adrian was here the last time, he says, you know, we really need to get an online presence going. And I said, well, how much do you need? And he, I think it was like 1500 bucks. He said, it'll take us two or three years to raise. I said, no, it won't. Our church is generous. We have generous givers. And we were able to help them get online very quickly. So as a matter of fact, next year, Adrian will be our speaker here again. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so this year, we have received 36 pledges for almost $35,000. It will go directly to Southern Mexico and the other three missions that we support. So we thank you for that. Um, on the inside of your bulletin, you'll notice on the back page, you'll see prayer requ requests and prayer concerns. Please make sure you take note of those. Take those home with you and uh, be in prayer for those situations. We've been fortunate to have some of our folks come back that have been sick, and they're doing much better. And we just uh, continue to focus on uh, Operation Christmas Child. That's our outreach we're praying for this month. And TCMI is the mission that we're focusing in on through this month and the work that they do. Well, at this time, let's stand together. We'll have a closing prayer, and our band will give us a song to, to leave, leave together with. Father, we thank you for the blessings we have in you. And Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to take our hearts to you in prayer. And I pray that for all, the, all those that we have in our, in our bulletin, that you are with them and help us to keep them in the front of our minds. Lord, as we leave this place, I hope that we leave so with joy and with compassion. And Lord, that we have just a, a desire to, to share people, to share the gospel with people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.